0: From Hong Kong, Chicago, and the city of Stoke-on-Trent, this is the Classic Lenses Podcast. Hello, and welcome to episode eighty-three. My name is Simon Forster, and I'm joined by Johnny Sisson and Perry G. Hello, Johnny. Hello. Good morning. And hello, Perry. Hello. Good evening. <laughs> and we have a guest with us, um, and it's somebody that's been on the show before. Um, Not sure if it's technically twice or not, but uh, he's been on the show before. And we have Mike Novak with us. Hello, Mike. Greetings from Fort Dodge, Iowa. Hello there. Um, Right, we're going to do things slightly differently this week. We're just going to go straight into what we've been up to, and then we'll go into a, a deep dive into Mike Novak. So um, you can all uh, visualize that. And uh, let's start off with uh, you, Johnny. Uh, You've been up to a few things this week.
1: Uh, I have, most notably yesterday. So way back, I guess it was earlier this year, which is now quite a while ago. uh, Mr. Mike Ekman um, did me a favor. uh, And what he did was he transplanted a... Lens. I have an old BESA-1 folding 6x9 camera, and um, it had a Novar lens on it, which is a fine lens. It's uh, just
2: 1K short of being a great lens. It's...
1: <laughs> <laughs> well done, Mike Novak. Who's sharp as a tack here at 8 o'clock in the morning? <laughs> Me and Duncan Coffee. That's right. So... Uh, I... So I had a I had a Bessa with an almost Novak lens on it. And um, I wanted to put a uh, well I had I had picked up for like two dollars uh, a scope lens. So the the, the 105 scope bar. Um and I I was kind of fancying having that thing on this camera. So um, so Mike Ekman did the job for me and, and transplanted the lens and check the collimation and all that stuff so i had this beautiful uh bar lens my favorite tessar wasn't that a tv show in the 50s my favorite it should tessar? have been it should have been it's so the scope
2: with tessars anyway,
1: So yeah they probably were so the scope bar is my favorite of all the tessar kind of clones um so i uh i, I had this thing transplanted on here and i had really never shot the camera and i really have been itching to shoot some six nines so yesterday i did a little uh sunday road trip not not a very long road trip about a half hour away but to a place oddly enough i'd never been to um, and that place is is the chicago portage national historic site um, so basically long story short it it's the place where they realized that they could get all the way down the saint lawrence river all the way through the great lakes all the way to the bottom corner of lake michigan and then they could go down a little stream and then that stream ended and then they realized that they if they carried their canoes a very short distance they would be in the displaines river and that runs into the mississippi river so now they real they figured out how to basically get from new york or the east coast all the way to new orleans and then kind of opened up the western u.s so it's it's a, it's a place of rather important... Basically, it's the reason there's a Chicago is because of this portage. So I had never been there and really just wanted to walk around, get out in the nature thing um, and take some pictures. So I shot a bunch with uh, this uh, BESA-1 and I'm going to develop that film later today. Ooh. And I'm excited. To, yeah, I'm excited to see it because uh, if it works out, this would be... I mean, it's it, it folds down to literally you know, if you have a big pocket, it would fit in that pocket. Um, so I'm I'm excited to uh, to see what, how this looks. And then I have another kind of project going on where I'm going to I think pick up a um, otherwise not completely functional Bessel 1 and I'm going to transplant onto it a wide angle lens so I can do wide angle, pano, 6 by 9 etc, etc. So I'm going to Build, I'm gonna I'm gonna build that out on the Bessa chassis. Building a better Bessa. Building a better Bessa. Yeah, yeah. So that that's sort of my my big highlight of my my photographic week. Um, but there was another highlight, which was what, just a week ago, Mike
2: Novak. Just a mere week ago. Today. So we're yes, gonna or, yeah
1: yeah. So we're gonna talk we're gonna talk about that too, but we'll we'll wait to to get into the Novak visit. So that's my big highlight. Okay. On to Perry.
0: Okay, Perry, so how about you?
3: Uh yeah, I've been up to a bit. I, I'm really glad we have Mike here because like for once I'm gonna not be the gassiest person on this uh this podcast. But um I've I've been shooting a bit, I picked up a little bit of stuff, so I finally rounded out my collection uh with a beautiful Leica M4. Uh um, yeah. It was listed for a really good price and a whole bunch of people went after it. But the guy sold it to me because, and I didn't know this at the time, when we met up, he was like, I know you. <laughs> we've, we've spoken
2: before. <laughs> your fame preceded you.
3: <laughs> well, apparently. So this is my first, um, my first encounter with a listener. So That was cool. Uh, it's in beautiful shape. Got it for a great price. Um, and then, uh, you know, this thing is, like, it's nicer than, I thought it was just an M6 without a meter. It, it's nicer than the M6. I'm just going to admit that.
1: Oh, yeah, my... he said it. I heard it just then. Yep.
3: The M4 was my first Leica. It really is. It doesn't have the 75 millimeter frame line. It doesn't have the stupid Leica logo. Yeah. Um, it doesn't uh, have a stupid light meter. <laughs> it doesn't have a light meter, yeah. It, it, even though it has that like plastic thing on the film advance, it's, it's a slightly different shape. Yeah, so it feels a little bit more refined than the M6, which does feel. You know, yeah, I, I jokingly that- told Johnny that the M6 was the the working man's Leica because <laughs> there was none of this luxury stuff,
0: right? Yeah, it sounds like you've been a bit of an apologist though for that for that wine. That it's just not the same as an M2 or I guess an M3, though, is it?
3: uh No, no. I mean, for sure. Like I, I've got, I have an M2 and an M3, and they're way nicer, but. Uh, the M4 has the quick load, which you know saves a, saves me quite a bit of time in the field, and the uh, the rewind, which I don't really like, um, the sort of diagonal rewind that the yeah, M4. I, M4. I, I like oh, the yeah. diagonal rewind. It, it mm. feels nicer on this M4 than it does on my M6. I find that when I'm using my M6 and I'm rewinding it, I, I it my fingers slip a lot, and when you lose grip yeah. of it, it just starts spinning backwards, right whereas on an m2 or an m3 like it it never spins backwards but this Uh, m4 it has like a little metal knurled tip so it's a little easier to grip and i find that i just i don't lose grip of it as much as i do on the m6
0: so what could you i don't know how how easy this will be to do but could you could you explain the, the the difference in the loading this this quick load because i've heard about i think m actually has got a either an m2 or an m3 with a with a conversion so what what is this quick load
3: well, I mean, on an M2 and M3, there's a spool that re- you remove from the camera, and then you have to shove the film leader into the spool and then line it up and and stick it back in. I mean, it's not that bad. It's it's once you get used to it, it's totally fine. The the part that takes me time is actually getting the leader into the spool because you have to like pull up that little clip thing. Whereas on the M4, M6, um, etc., basically, there's like three teeth in the bottom of the camera. You don't have to take anything out, and you just line up the film leader and you just slot it in the middle and then it just catches by itself. All right.
4: Okay, know,
3: so it that takes sounds three seconds. Yeah, it is. It is. I mean, that's the one thing that it has going over the M2. Um, so yeah, it's very nice. It's It, it looks nice. Uh, I had to get a lens for it. Um, so... <laughs> because like, your other uh, of course, of course you did.
1: Yeah. <laughs> that goes without saying. <laughs>
3: I mean, I need, a, I need a lens that's the same color. So I got a... <laughs> don't laugh. Don't laugh. That's what this podcast is for. (laughs) No, no, it's actually a really really happy story because um, there's a shop in Hong Kong called Sunrise Photo that I've mentioned before. They have uh, just all kinds of cool, exotic stuff, and they've been in business for 30 years. Fifteen percent of all their profits goes to uh, animal charities because the guy has the owner is a big cat lover and he's got like a cat who sits on the uh, like on the counter all day at the shop. But they were supposed to go out of business in September uh, because their rent got jacked up. But the outpouring of support that he got after making that announcement was so huge that um, that they're and I think the rent might have gone down because he's in a neighborhood where there's like a lot of police violence (laughs) and like rioting. (laughs) Uh, So they're they canceled the uh, going out of business notice and they're still going. Wow. You mentioned him on a previous podcast, didn't you? That's right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So uh, he announced about a week ago that they're staying in business. They were going to close in September. Um, and it's September now. So I, I went to pay him a visit and thought I would support the shop by picking up uh, a lens that he he had stocked recently. So I just picked up a beautiful condition Chioko 5 centimeter F2 Super Rocor in LTM. Whoa. And specifically an uncoated version, which I have then taken. Uh, with a few rolls of <coughs> sinistil to shoot and it two things just two quick things about this lens before I hand over um, number one I was I've always been nervous about shooting uncoated like shooting color film especially Cinestill with uncoated lenses uh, I don't know why I think it's just that sense that coating makes everything better um, but the results are really nice like I really really like the way that stuff looks with this lens it's uh, surprisingly good wide open as well but the other thing is, I, find, I figured out why the Chiyoko LTM lenses uh, have a lot more of that kind of swirly look in the bokeh compared to some other lenses. And it's because on the Minolta uh, A mount or the Minolta 3 rangefinder series that they were originally attached to, the negatives, even though they use 35mm film, the negatives were 32 by 24 and not 36 by 24 and so the image circle, even though it covers uh, the full negative, no problem. The lens is designed for a very, very slightly smaller image circle, um, and so you get a lot more of that sort of edge aberration, which looks is really it, cool. Is at that night.
2: the same size negative on the old robots?
3: No, the robots half frame,
1: right? That's square. Yeah, square. it's just square. it's actual square, square. Yeah, yeah. But, so this, I, but I think if I'm not wrong, the first. Uh, weren't the first Nikon rangefinders that same aspect ratio? I'm pretty 32 sure. Thirty-two by twenty-four. Yeah, uh, I don't know. Possibly. Are, are they were? Oh no, they were twenty. They were like twenty-four by thirty-two. It was a more rectangular than thirty-five millimeters. So that would quite. That's a bit bigger. Yeah.
3: Yeah. So I mean, it's just a, it's a slightly smaller um, image circle that the lens is designed for. So it looks super yeah. cool. That makes sense. So, um, I mean, just quickly on the robot, I think, Mike, the the four centimeter biotar, um, Mm -hmm. the original camera that that's made for is half frame, but it will just about cover a full
2: frame, I think. I I was very tempted to buy the nice robot that they had the display case at Central Camera last weekend. Oh, yeah, that one. It it was speaking to me, but man. Just couldn't do it. Just couldn't. I could. I don't know if I could have packed another thing in my suitcase for the trip. It's a like
1: heavy that. little beast, too. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's, it's like just a lump. Yeah.
2: the uh,
3: The same shop I got this Chioko from had a robot forty millimeter biotar converted to LTM mount with rangefinder coupling. I was so mm. tempted to pick that up for my like a CL, but I got this instead. Yeah. So that's my uh, that's my week. I did go out and shoot a couple of protests did not get tear gassed, so that that record is still going. And you didn't uh, get blued. I You're did blued. not. I did not get blued uh, with the blue dye that the cops were shooting out of the water cannons. So, happy times. <laughs> you know, actually, I actually accidentally ended up in a protest because I actually went out for lunch. <laughs> and then all of the, um, they shut down like all the public transit in the area. Uh, and then I was like, well, I guess uh... I have to walk to my next destination. And I was like, oh, the only way I can walk there is the same way that all these protesters are going. So whatever, I'll just take the same route. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs>
3: so uh, other than that, Simon, how's your week going?
0: Um, well, I've, I've not done a great deal this week. Um, so I think I just want to just talk about a couple of things from last, uh, last week, really. Um, the, the first one was we were talking about some of the uh, digitized photos that I'd Done and generally messed up, um, but there was one issue that with regarding the horizon shots where the 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 right hand edge of each shot was uh, almost consistently smudged. Um, and we were wondering if this was you know, something to do with, the, with my technique about uh, digitising. And that was, I was struggling with that. It didn't, didn't seem to make a great deal of sense. And then I've, I've, I I realised something because, and I'd, I meant to actually mention it last week, but I was uh, in a discussion with Dan Goshen uh, about the Horizon, and uh, he, he asked me the question, you know, has, he, has he got that little handle uh, that uh, screws in underneath the camera mm. on the left-hand side. So I don't think I mentioned this last week at all, and uh, and I said, yeah, it's got that, it's got everything. It's, it's also got these little clip-in filters as well, which are bizarre little things. I had to go onto YouTube and then, and that didn't help me. I then went onto uh, book book kiss book cuss <laughs> Not book but kiss if, <laughs> um, on his site to try and uh, get a um, a manual that wasn't in Russian and uh <laughs> and, and just about understood how these things go in and they're quite interesting little things but you, you you clip them in but you to take one out you have to use another filter because they've got little hooks up, mm. on the filters and you use the hook on the filter to unhook the other one that's already in there um so if you've got one if you only got one then you're in a bit of trouble really um the other part was i only actually discovered i even had these filters uh after the after the event uh, because i just found them tucked inside the handle um so when i looked at it i thought "Oh, it might be able to keep a spare roll of film in there or something like that well actually no that's not what it's about it's about storing these filters when they're not in use and there's a, a y8 um, a two stop nd and a uv filter in there uh, which i didn't realize i could have really done with the the two stop nd as well because we're really mm. topping out at 250th and using 400, uh, 400 iso film that's it's a bit restrictive on bright on those rare bright days that we have here in the uk so uh, yeah that that would have helped me um but the other part of that conversation when when i because I asked Dan uh, about why it even has the handle, because I hadn't actually worked out why it had the handle. I just got one. I thought, well, it's there. Might as well use it. It must be there for a reason. And, uh, and he said, it's to keep your hand out of the way of the shot. And then it, it, it then moving forward to our conversation, it dawned on me that I was making no effort Uh, the way that I was actually holding the camera on the the right-hand side of the camera. So obviously I've I've got my left hand is out of the way, it's underneath the camera, Um, but my right hand is just holding the camera conventionally, so there's a reasonable chance that those smudges on the right-hand side were my my fingers gripping the side of the
4: camera. (laughs) I love it,
0: I love it, I love it. So... Um, and I mean, you look at the the design of the camera as well, and it, 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 I was thinking because I was thinking, why was the shutter button's in a really odd position? It's not it's not in a particularly ergonomic position. I'm thinking, well, that's just Russian design, you know, they just put it wherever it fits, and you just adapt yourself to use it. But I now realise that it's it's set further back, so that you you can actually so you, it encourages you to shift your hand. Out of the way, of the front of the camera. So uh, I've I've taken I've actually taken some shots this week with it, and with the uh, that's a point with the the um, the Minolta Xpan from uh, that Hamish Gill uh, lent to me. So I've been uh, playing around with those two. So at uh, uh, at some point I'll have some possibly new improved horizon pictures that uh, I've I've actually got my right hand out of the way of the shots. Fingers crossed. Oh. <laughs> I'm
2: not in front of <laughs> lens. yeah you right. know if you f- cross your fingers on the right hand they will probably stay out of the shot in the future yeah yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> exactly exactly um okay so that that was that's that's one thing uh, that i forgot from last week and then there's just something that i need to just bring up this week because i was i was called out on something that i said on the podcast last week by andrew lawson and that was in the our facebook group um, the classic lenses podcast Facebook group, not photography with classic lenses, the classic lenses podcast Facebook group, and it was it was regarding some of the observations I was making about uh, large format versus smaller formats and uh, and I almost certainly mentioned perspective and things like that and um, and it was pointed out to me that perspective doesn 't change it 's got nothing to do with sensor size. Which I had a bit of a problem with that. And to some degree I still do, but I think that I'm I'm talking more about not necessarily from a, a technical point of view, but from a, a user's point of view, which is not necessarily the same thing. Um but within that discussion, um it was it was mentioned that there were numerous uh, YouTube videos out there, but I couldn't actually find anything specifically on the, the point I was making about when you stand in, in the same position with one camera, let's uh, say large format, or rather an old photograph that's been taken on large format, and you stand in the same position with a smaller sensor camera, uh, I'm very much of the opinion, you, you're not going to get exactly the same photograph just because you're taking this with the same <coughs> field of view. Um and well, that that was that was my my general point. And uh, within that discussion, Perry uh, very kindly said that I'm wrong, um, <laughs> uh-huh. <on laughs> several occasions. Um, and then he promised to uh, to tell tell me about about uh, all of this and, and post his thesis that he he wrote about ten years ago. But we, I'm just saying, we, we I'm still waiting for that information, Perry.
3: Okay, so number one. Uh, I did exp- I did engage with this, but in our private like podcast chat, um, which, and Simon, do, which, t-
0: which doesn't count. <laughs> no,
3: but you you did confess that in your test images that you posted that not only were you standing in the uh, in different positions for the photos that you had done the focal like conversion
0: incorrectly so that, in fact, one lens was, in fact, wider than the other. Um, uh, just, just going to say that those those two shots weren't actually produced as test shots. By the way, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so, so I wasn't trying to prove a point with those. In fact, one of the shots wasn't even taken by me. It was just uh, two people taking very similar shots in the same location, and ended yeah. up with um, similar but different different results.
3: Yeah. So I have sent you a link which we can include to the sh- in the show notes uh, of an article explaining why. Um, Perspective is a function of like where you stand and the relative position, the relative distance of objects in the frame to the camera, uh, as opposed to like your field of view. Um, it's not an article that I wrote. You'll see that the credit at the end of it says like the concept of the article was an idea by Perry G because I was too damn lazy to actually do it. <laughs> I just told some, told someone else, "Yo, you should you should do this to set set the record straight." And they did so well done. Um, but like. Secondly, I do think that it's one of those really annoying terms, right? Where it is, Andrew's using it as a technical term um, and you're using it in that kind of layman sense. So it's totally understandable. Like technically perspective is just a function of where you stand in relative distances. But when people talk about wide angle perspective, what they mean is if, you, if they want to get the subject the same size in the frame a wide-angle lens forces you to get closer in order to do that. But it's that act of getting closer that changes the perspective and not the field of view that you're shooting with. And so to prove this, all you need to do is stand in the same place with a tripod, shoot with as many different focal lengths, as many different formats as you want, uh, and the relative size of objects and the kind of amount of distortion or whatnot will be the same if you Mm -hmm. crop everything down to the same field of view.
0: Mm Mm-hmm i'm i'm still not getting that but i'm exce- i'm exce- i I'm a, a lot of what you say there make makes sense and, oh. uh, and 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 i and i appreciate the that you're using so, uh, my I, I... my my view of um layman being a stupid person uh. no 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 no
3: it, it's it's the same way that like you know I, I did a degree in philosophy right and when people use the term begging the question they're always using it wrong because it's a technical term that means like Presupposing your conclusion and your premises. But people use it to mean like asking or raising the question, and that's totally fine. Right. But some people so, will like get super triggered by like a misuse of a technical
2: term. <laughs> a, a longer focal length lens will pull the background in closer to the subject without changing the perspective, correct? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Because you're, when because you're, you're enlarging standing at an page. angle to the
0: subject. Uh, wait, wait, no, no, no. So hold on. I was, I was going to say that you, you just made my argument there, Mike. No, 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 no. <laughs> so, like, for
3: example, if you're taking a portrait of someone with, like, mountains in the background, right? Mm-hmm. If you shoot with a wide-angle lens um, and you want the person to be, like, the same size in the frame, you end up getting closer to the person. But the wide-angle yeah. lens with a larger field of view means that the mountains going to look tiny, right? So mm-hmm. when you switch to a longer lens, it's a function of using that smaller field of view. Yeah. But then blowing the image up to the same size, that magnifies the background, right? Mm-hmm. But in order to get your subject the same size in the frame and not just have, like, their nose as the, the, the picture, you have to step backwards, right? So the relative distance between you and the mountains changes by, like, nothing. But the relative distance between you and your subject has, like, doubled or tripled mm-hmm. by the act of walking back.
2: I think and we're all talking about the same thing, but yeah, just totally. using different language to, to get there. Yeah, Plain,
0: well, the, exactly. Well, the bit that, the that, and I'm just going to interject it here, and the, the bit that I'm coming from is you can stand in the same position with a longer lens but have more width of view with a large format. That's that's the point I'm making.
2: But I think that has more to do with the size of the image circle, doesn't it? it?
0: That, that's exactly what I'm saying, yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: But that's just a function of you getting a wider field of view right, on a larger right, format. Right
0: like a larger piece of film no it's not though because you're getting that that's the perspective I'm, 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 doesn't change yeah yeah but, yeah, but this is I thing i think we're talking about perspective and and we're not actually it's quite possible we're not actually talking about perspective at all <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: well, that's a different so perspective if, on if it if we're not talking about perspective when we're talking about perspective what are we talking about? Well, it you, could be the, I, you
0: might be talking about perspective I might be talking about something completely different. Um yes. okay, I think we've probably got to the end of this discussion. <laughs> time and uh, relative
2: dimensions in space. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah, that's that's um, <laughs> it's all to do with the Mughal Frugal strata and um so um, on that note um because um it's been a busy week for Mike. Um, I'm going to hand it back to Johnny because, and, and sort of do what we actually did back in April when Mike was on the show and for two reasons it didn't quite go to plan the the first reason was that nobody could actually hear mike because he was using a tin can and a taut piece of string across the atlantic so um yeah to say the same mike's voice was very very thin it's a shock to us when actually when i first heard him today because he sounds he doesn't sound like a pixie at all like he did last time so uh, so that that's so that was that's one thing so as you've heard mike's got a proper mic this week uh, which is really good um the second one one is he, he appeared on a show that was um hijacked um by it was sort of like round two of the um ill-judged April Fool that we did back in uh <laughs> back in April. Um, and uh and we had the lovely M and the lovely Hamish came on the show and pretty much took the show away from us so um so we didn't get really get to hear as much about Mike uh as we'd like to so I'm going to hand over to to Johnny you can do a proper introduction to the legend that is Mike Novak.
1: Oh, here he is folks. The gnome returns. The prodigal gnome. The prodigal gnome he returns. So, um I I let's just start talking about food is that okay?
2: Oh sure that's fine I like
1: food. <laughs> no no Simon Simon's thinking I'm going to do a proper introduction. As, as long as and, we're going to do lobster but, lobster rolls but,
0: again you can he, go ahead.
1: He, no, no 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 we're going we have other we have other food food items to talk about. There are no lobsters native to the Chicago region so there are no lobster rolls therefore native to the Chicago. I, now there is a place in Chicago that thinks it does a proper lobster roll. Um and I've been there. Because you know, if there's a lobster roll, I'm gonna try to eat it, and I've eaten most of the lobster rolls that can be had in Chicago, and there's a couple that are okay. But this place that styles itself as like the lobster roll, you know, capital of Chicago or something, they ain't got it. They ain't they ain't got it. So anyway, we're not gonna talk about lobster rolls, Um, but we will talk about crabs, right? No, that's a different Perry. Getting crabs is a different thing. Altogether. We got crayfish
2: in yeah. Chicago. Yeah,
1: <laughs> we have a crayfish. A getting water getting water crabs water is water something water. you don't want to you don't want to get in Chicago. <laughs> trust me. <laughs> Most of them come from
2: the tainted water.
1: Right. Exa- exactly. Exactly. Don't eat anything that glows in the dark. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, so, so the highlight, the other highlight I, 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 of my week that I alluded to, um, in the earlier portion of this podcast was that that mike novak was in town he was here in chicago and there is a photographic record to be found of this momentous event Um, and you will see those photos um, widely throughout the places that we probably all congregate on the facebook Um, but certainly in the classic uh, lenses podcast facebook page you will see many many photos of that visit to chicago by mike novak so um so i guess it in my, my introduction would be uh mike novak is a a wonderful gnomish man who lives in in iowa who's from chicago as a matter of fact he he is from um a place very close to where my mom grew up like within what half a mile And yeah, like? someone around there something something like that and i went to the same high schools i think and uh, so anyway, Mike's a good guy. Mike's a Chicago guy.
2: Johnny may very well be my son.
1: <laughs> it's quite possible.
2: <laughs> it's quite
1: possible because we don't know if Mike got an early start, but he might have. So, um, <laughs> so so I so I I think we other other than uh other than the. The uh the the, the lovely gnome like um uh profile that, that Mike has. He, I think we know him on the Facebook for his interest in things such as twin lens reflex cameras. Um well Jesus, what 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 does Mike not have? I don't know. I don't but- have any
2: panoramic cameras. Okay, you don't have any panoramic cameras. Except Mike on I kind of AF 600 in panorama mode. I yeah, but you I but get. you
1: have a lot of other things, and you're you're you have a very deep knowledge of these things, and you're very deep knowledge of expired film and all of that kind of stuff too. So we thought we'd get you back on and talk about all those things, but most importantly, to talk about food in Chicago. <laughs> 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 and don't think we're not going there, people. That means you, Simon. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, do you want to tell us about Gene and Judes?
2: <laughs> oh God. Gene and Judes. Gene and Judes is the best hot dog in the world. And the best <laughs> French fries. No matter what James Giordano or Michael Patterson, those guys say about Nathan's, it's just not even close. You know. Yeah, it's it's the best. It really You is. want to bite into a hot dog that bites back. That's right.
1: It's got a snap at you.
2: Uh-huh. And James had mentioned that he could buy Vienna beef hot dogs at supermarkets in Southern California. Nah, I'd like same. to set the record a little straight on that, because while you can buy hot dogs made by Vienna beef in Southern California supermarkets, they are not the hot dogs that Vienna beef makes specifically for Gene and Jude's. Right. Gene and Jude's dogs are slightly longer. They're they're tangier, and they have more snap yeah. to the casing. Natural casing, folks. Yes. Natural casing is the key, and their French fries are fried in lard. Yeah, hand cut as you watch them with the same, same potato cutter they've been using for sixty years. Did I don't know if they the cotton changed cotton the lard oil. in sixty years either, but man,
0: <laughs> yeah, I've heard a, I've heard a rumor that. Using ketchup is controversial as well. Is that correct? Oh, no, no, oh no, 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 ketchup no ketchup on no, hot dogs no, in Chicago. No, no, ketchup.
2: No there's ketchup. even a sign there's a McDonald's next to Gene and Judes, and they have a sign saying ketchup packets for Gene and Judes customers, fifteen cents a piece. Because people would go to Gene and Judes, then they'd run over to McDonald's and just say, we, we gotta get some ketchup. Which is which is you could tell those are not people from Chicago. Right. Because there's no need for any sort of condiment on a hot dog other than than relish, onions, yeah, mustard, it, and sport peppers, which right. are it's, called pepperoncini or something. I think is their actual official name, right? Yeah, that's all you need. It, yeah. See, a gene and jute is not the typical Chicago dog where they tend to drag everything through the garden. It's 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 what they it's actually what they call a depression dog because it was sold. Originally, as a cheap meal during the Depression, so no, no tomatoes, no pickle spear, no celery salt, no, no other crap on there. Just a good old hot dog. The the basics. The basics. Many people use use the Gene and Jude's (laughs) hot dogs as air fresheners in their cars in the (laughs) Chicago
4: area. Yes, they do.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, all right. So, moving on, um, because you know we can't talk about food all day long so let's make sure we get right into al's beef first um would you like to tell us about the best beef sandwich you had while you were in chicago the best
2: beef sandwich i had in chicago was actually at the al's beef uh in wrigleyville that is a good one that is a good one i
1: must say having Uh at several of them that is probably the best one
2: yeah, oh, it was it was great. You know, just the right amount of beef, so tender. And they actually were not out of sweet peppers like the on uh, the Els Beef uh, out Wabash was when I went there. Oh, were they really? Yeah, and Els and Wabash forgot to dip my sandwich. Like I asked. Them to oh, do. So, that's bad. That's bad. That's bad. That's really bad. And their beef wasn't as tender as, as the one in Wrigley.
1: I I think the one in Wrigley. I got to say, I think they go through so so much. Many. It mm-hmm. that it's so busy there because it's just it's i mean it's nonstop stop the amount of foot traffic not like the one on wabash isn't but not like the one on, on in wrigley mm-hmm. it's so busy all it, i used to live literally about 100 yards from there yeah so and it's in a nice little narrow odd You're shape a build, building corner
2: building where, where, yeah. where number of streets meet right I actually have a photo of that L's beef. I
1: that noticed time. that. I and I, and, no, and, I and, that and that the anywhere.
2: convergence of streets outside of it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. All right. So moving on. Again, we can't spend the whole the whole program today talking about food. So let's make sure we get right into square cut, cut pizza.
2: Uh, before we go too much further. <laughs> well, I was not able to get any square cut pizza on on the uh, pub crawl portion of my visit. I have a, a friend that I grew up. She lived right across the alley from me in Franklin Park, and she owns a place called Dino's Pizza in Lake in the Hills, Illinois.
1: Oh yeah, I know and, that you know, place. You I,
2: I I I had posted on my Facebook page because I, I went out there for a wedding. That I I'm, I'm in uh, I'm in Woodstock now. If anyone wants to feed me, and she <laughs> responded immediately. You know, come to Dino's. If you can't get a ride there, I'll come pick you up. But, you know, I did manage to, to, to get in touch with another old friend that I hadn't seen in almost four decades. And we made the trip to, to Dino's and visited with Mary Beth and caught up on old times, popcorn and pizza on Sunday nights at the Novak house. Yeah. But uh, she was kind enough to uh, bring out a, a large thin crust supreme pizza. Yes. Which was square cut to perfection and nice. it was awesome. Now, I also have a picture of that on my Facebook page.
1: Uh, now, now, Mike, I think we should quickly, you know, I, th- I've been on another podcast where um, the issue of Chicago Pizza came up. And certain people, well-meaning people, um, w- wanted to debate with me a bit about the merits of certain types of pizza, um, which are served in a, in a pan which are generally called deep-dish pizza. And they went on to name places that make pizza mm-hmm. that are not even deep-dish pizza. They no. are stuffed pizza. And those stuffed are two pizza. different things. They're two deep. different things. But but let us not get too far down this road before we tell the truth about deep-dish pizza. Right, Mike?
2: That's right. Deep-dish yeah. pizza is tourist pizza. Yes! You know, it's it's not the neighborhood pizza. It's not what what we ate in the uh, taverns and bars when we were younger, man. Right. Correct. You know, Correct. You, you get the, the thin crust square cut pizza square cuts. So you could eat a piece of pizza in one hand and drink a bottle of cold old style with the other Exactly. while watching the bears on TV on Sunday. Right
1: now I I will say, I will say I grew up in addition to eating square cut pizza, just as you did, Mike, I did grow up also eating what I consider to be the only proper deep dish pizza in Chicago. And that of deep. course is is Lou Malnati's.
2: Yeah, Lou Malnati's is is worth the trip, but the yeah. you know the 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 downtown places like Pizza Uno and Duo yeah. and Eduardo's and Gino's. Yeah. Yeah. That's you know that's strictly for the tourists. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely.
1: So I'm I just wanted to make sure we you know we cleared all that up before we you know got too far into this podcast about food, that we um, we we got all the important Chicago you know food stuff out of the way.
2: Which... Well, I think we got all three major food groups. Oh no, one yeah. more, one more. I, there's one more. Hey, I, uh, I was just 12, about to say twelve inch Italian sub sandwich. There we Alan, go. Alan Joe's Deli in Franklin Park, <laughs> Illinois. You know it's it's the best sandwich. I you know. Last time I was able to take some home because we drove out there. You know, unfortunately, with my luggage situation on a very, very small plane, I, I couldn't do it this time. But, yeah. you know, that was something that was a must-have. And luckily, my hotel was with I, – well, I made sure to book a hotel within walking distance of Ellen Joe's. <laughs> <laughs> so that was, you know, very important to me. I had to go, you know. Booking.com, Which one is actually physically closest to? Yeah, Allen let Jones. me let
1: me see that map. Let me let me just pull that map up. And <laughs> I think let, there was <laughs>
2: one hotel closer, but it was it was significantly more expensive. Oh, okay, but it was almost worth the difference just to be close to Allen Joe's. You know, and I wanted a place close to transportation where I could get both to Chicago area, you know, downtown, yeah. and also to my own hometown of Franklin Park. And right, you know, it wasn't the greatest hotel in the world, but it was not bad. And interestingly enough, you know, I I had visited some friends on Sunday and we went to the Art Institute, you know, and they had the, you know, the famous painting by Hopper, the Nighthawks painting. Yeah. And I was out at my hotel, you know, in the evening and I I looked at where the lobby is and the light and the colors were so reminiscent of the Hopper that I had to make a tribute photo to Nighthawks. Yeah, that's
1: an uncanny photo. It really you know, is. I kind
2: of, the re, the 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 palette is kind of reversed with the yeah. the green that's on the inside and, and and the earth tones are on the outside but the light is is just yeah. you know it 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 had to be done
3: <laughs> no I mean you nailed that there were, I think quite a few people um, including
2: me when we first saw the
3: picture was like oh whoa it's like nighthawks yeah
2: yeah um, I, I had thought about it before the visit to the art institute, but after I got home, it was just like you know, it's 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 right there, right in front of me, you know. And, yeah, and I, I, so I put on the uh, the Nikkor PC 85 millimeter f two lens yeah. on my Sony A seven two, and and took a picture and just some some minor editing for color and I added some noise to make it. Not quite, not, not quite as sharp yeah. as it would be natively and it, it, you know, I'm, I'm really overjoyed with the way that one came out.
1: Yeah, it's a nice shot.
3: Yeah, I'd love to see it on CineStill. Yeah.
2: It's my on-the-fly CineStill emulation. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, okay. I, I think we really have covered all the food now. Oh well, you think.
3: can't uh you can't spell gastronomy without gas.
1: That's right. <laughs> and speaking of gas. Um you did come equipped. You've already mentioned that you were, you know, small plane limited limited baggage, but you managed to really pack in a fine assortment of equipment to bring here to Chicago. And I mm-hmm. thought I thought it might be good to talk about the the cameras and and we're going to talk about some other specific topics, but I just I thought it might be cool to hear about because uh, one of the things we we talked about recently was, you know, travel packing for a trip, and mm-hmm. you want to bring all your toys, and they just you can't bring all of them. So, could you tell us what you brought to your on your trip to Chicago in terms of camera lens stuff, um, and how it all how you felt it all worked out for you?
2: Okay, as you might have noticed, I traveled on a very very small plane. You know, there's yes. no. No room for overhead luggage. You can only check one bag and one small bag to carry on. So, you know, I had to make some choices. I I, uh, I bought a, a medium sized camera bag from B and H Photo. I think a rugged forty five Commando. And in that bag, I had managed I managed to fit in the uh, Sony A seven with the um, twenty four to 240 millimeter OSS lens, the FV35 slash 2.8, a Zeiss Icon Super Iconta A, the Canon VL, for which I packed the um, the 11 o'clock nickel Elmar, the Sony 85 millimeter that I mentioned, the uh, 50 millimeter Canon F1.2, and I also brought a uh, an Elmer ninety millimeter lens, which I didn't get a chance to use. I actually didn't even use the big zoom lens either, so that was a little bit of wasted space. And then I put a uh, Minox, or not Minox, um, Roly thirty five S, and I brought Johnny a uh, Olympus XA four for for him to play with. Well, you f- you forgot the Biogon. Oh yeah, and the Biogon lens. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Can't forget the biogon. I did the bean with the biogon.
1: Yeah, and then it looks great. It looks really great. Now, the thing that was really interesting to me, Mike, was um, looking at all of you know the different types of shots that you took. Um, I, I don't want to say there's one that really stands out, but I would what I would say that what really stands out for me is that fantastic quality of the shots from the rolly 35 now i'm not surprised Mm -hmm. by that because i mean that camera it's a great camera i mean it does it it does a great job and um it's legendary for that right but i mean i guess i'm just always surprised when i see shots out of that camera just how damn good they are and you would think mike i mean you can't take good pictures with a scale focus camera That's right what people
2: seem to try to tell me they say it'd be a great camera if only it had a rangefinder on it no we should and maybe
1: like, talk about the difference between scale focus and range finder and why why that rolly 35 is such a terrible camera because it doesn't have a range finder right
2: that's yeah you know it really sucks <laughs> you know I, I every time i post photos from the from the from the rolly 35 no matter if they're nice good perfectly sharp photos someone says well, it'll be a damn fine camera with a range finder. And then you know, someone else will post a picture of their Roli 35 with a meter stuck upside down on the bottom of it. And it's like, I just feel like punching them. You know, <laughs> it's like, it's, you, you know, people seem to have forgotten in, in the age of autofocus and bokeh and close up pictures of flowers. What an important focusing tool depth of focus was. Mm. You know, and 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 how you can use it to really, I, I I get more hits with the scale focus cameras lately than I do with a rangefinder and SLR. The only one that I really never miss with is are the TLRs, yeah. Because I take like five minutes to set up each shot. But for a street shooter, you know, out where you just want to have something always ready to shoot, you know, nothing beats scale focus. Yeah. You know, you set it to hyperfocal distance for whatever aperture you're using, and you just point and shoot.
1: Yeah. Now, now maybe we could talk just a little bit, take a little bit of a dive into this, Mike, on the technical side, um, because I, I'm not even sure that everybody knows exactly what scale focus is or zone focus or however you want to talk about it. And, and, and also about hyperfocal, you know, uh, focusing and how that works and 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 how you're able to accomplish getting sharp pictures on a camera that doesn't have a way for you to see through the viewfinder exactly the point of of focus right um maybe we could talk about that just briefly for people you know, the, that aren't the, haven't done it or or aren't familiar with
2: it the biggest thing is don't worry too much about the exact point of focus because you want your camera, you you want you want to set your camera to be able to use the maximum depth of field for your selected aperture, and 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 use the shutter to control exposure. You know, the sweet spot I find find with the uh, Rolly and with the other scale focus cameras that I use on on an average sunny day is either f eight or f eleven. So I'll set the, the aperture to f eleven. I will set the Shutter corresponding to the light needed to make the exposure. And then I, 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 I line up the infinity symbol on the mm-hmm. focus with the um, selected aperture on the depth of field scale, and that maximizes the, ap- the, the, the focus range, focus range, depth range for that particular aperture. You know, you yeah. could cheat one way or the other, it's really not going to matter so much. And you know, and it you know for general shooting that's fine. You get every shot in focus, and you know you get a little in closer and You just nudge it to focus a little yeah. bit closer. A little, you know, you don't have to worry about further out because you're already catching everything to infinity. Right. You know, and in low light, you know you're going to have to use a wider aperture. But the same rule applies. You know, you want your subject to be just within the range the largest range of, of focus for that particular aperture. Yeah. And you now, know
1: I, I, I was going to say, Mike, do you have a, do you have a, um, do you have like distances in mind when you're doing this type of focus? Do you, do you have like ranges of, okay, well that's about six feet. That's about 15 feet. That's about, I don't even really,
2: I don't even really think about it that much Yeah, because I know if I'm anywhere, I think it's with the, with the, Rolly, if you're anywhere at F8 or F11, F11, I think anywhere between like six feet and infinity, you're going to be in focus. (laughs) And, you know, I do this with the range finder too, with the Biogon, the the shots I took of the Bean, those Mm -hmm. were scale focused. Mm -hmm. You know, F11, I think was, yeah, I was at F11 on that. And with the infinity lined up with F11 and you look at them and you're not going to find a much sharper picture. So it's really, there's really not that much mystery. I think, you know, people forget that, you know, all all the great war photographers before the advent of autofocus lenses, they weren't sitting there fiddling around getting the focus perfect. They were scale focusing because they yeah. were in a fast moving situation where they wanted to get the shot, you know, and the press photographers with their, with their uh, speed graphics, you know, it was F8 and B there. That's what that means. Is, is you have the camera set to shoot at its widest range of fo- focus. Yeah. yeah, And it's really it's really not that hard. I don't know why people are so scared of it. I think some of the best shots I got all summer were with a, uh, a Zeiss Icon Cantina 2A, and it's got a uh, three-element Nova car lens, so it's almost a great lens. <laughs> but, you know, and, and set for hyper-focus and just to walk around the block... Well, I was, you know, I had to meet a friend, and I was going to give him some film to try, <clears throat> but you know, the pictures came out way, way better than I expected. Wow. So I've I've been enjoying using scale focus either with a scale focus camera, a viewfinder camera, or with the rangefinder. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's it's kind of the way I prefer to shoot now. I, I I haven't put a fifty millimeter on the rangefinder hardly at all. I did when I I shot some photos at my niece's wedding and I used the 50 a lot but that's because I knew I needed critical focus you know on on the face and the eyes but for street shooting you know even if you miss focus a little bit with film it don't matter
4: yeah
0: you know
2: it,
4: doesn't it still matter. looks good doesn't yeah. it yeah. yeah
0: yeah but I think I think that's where the issue is though isn't it uh, if you if you do want to use it to for selective focus, then you don't use a scale focus camera, but
2: that's what everyone's mindset now seems to be. Well, I want to be able to get good, perfect shots close up with blurry out of focus. Well, then don't use a Rolly 35, you know,
0: but exactly because your
2: that, SLR, but that's, and, and,
0: and, but that's the whole point that people are, are, are making. I've, you know, I mean, interesting enough, when when I Attempted to do those street street shots uh, the the other week, and I talked about it last week with the with the Leica. Um, I scale focus was exactly what I did. I did not use the rangefinder quite quite deliberately. Um, You you go. I went in there with the attitude just to frame and shoot, and uh, and the the shots I've seen. So far, which I haven't shared any, but so there's grainiest. Oh, the, actually, they need oh, to go. That's
2: because you got yeah. that cheap film from Eric, you know, <laughs>
0: <laughs> and you don't
2: have his magic voodoo for, for getting the perfect uh, exposure and, and development with them. Exactly. I need, I need you to, know, you need to hang around more in the vintage film shooters group and, well, and pick I, up some tips I, and development.
0: I think I need to post them, uh, do a blog posting their beautiful grainy mush. Well, yeah, some people embrace the grain, you know. Exactly. I, I want. I like grain when I want it, not when I don't. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I will actually uh, uh, spam the group in one in one go. I think with uh, yeah. with those. But they they were all scale focused. Um, but it's it's but the the point though about scale focused camera versus rangefinder. Oh I yeah, mean, I I had a um a, a Roly 35 uh, very very recently um i bought it to to, to sell and, and that was exactly what i did and it was a it was a it was a lovely camera but i was there thinking exactly the same thing and i don't think it's, it's it, you know i don't think you should have a go at people for wishing it was a, a rangefinder because we all want cameras that can do as many things for us as possible rather than a camera that you've got to you are know, you encouraged to use in a very specific way because that's what, but, what it, you know
2: what street is. shooting is a very specific style of shooting in most cases Oh,
0: definitely and, and i agree you with know. you. what you're saying there for for street shooting there's there's absolutely nothing wrong with that camera but uh, yeah just but the other side the, there were shots that i took that week i mean there's a, a shot of uh my son i took in a in a in a restaurant in in very low light um That I was uh, able to pull pull the shot off. Uh, well, I haven't seen it yet, I'm not but I know that I I just wouldn't have even attempted uh, that shot with a, with the scale fo- focus camera. In, in I would. <laughs>
4: <laughs> okay.
2: <laughs> Practice makes perfect. No, but if I'm if I'm going out and I'm, I want to do street portraiture or something, then you know I will I will grab the rangefinder with the with the fifty millimeter lens or an SLR. But you know, it, I'm finding that in my town, the best light is early in the morning, and that's when there are no people on the street. So that's mm. when I, you know, it's easier to just grab the scale, focus, and 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 not worry about looking for portrait. Although, the when I do run into people, I still get successful people portraits with it too. So,
0: well, three three point five, you've got a, a reasonable. Uh, Depth of field to play with anyway, including yeah. with the, with the scale. So it's it's only really when you you've you have forced into using a very wide aperture, or you're just trying mm-hmm. to get that look, as where you where you're going to need it. In which case, yeah, you know, you, you're not going to get a camera that well. It,
2: you know, you're not going to try to, to pound a nail with a screwdriver either, though.
0: No, it, it, and I think that's the point. Yeah, you know, I think the camera is really good for 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 what it is, and and
2: it fits in your pocket, so you yes. can carry your other camera in your hands. Yeah. Or around your neck, so that's you know, and the same thing with the Olympus XA, you know, some people prefer the XA two or XA three more than the um than the XA rangefinder just because of the simpleness and so, where you could grab it out of your pocket and make the shot. Yeah. See, I like the rangefinder one better, so you know.
0: Well, that, that's that's always been a, a, a one I've never quite understood because I think the XA two and four. I think of the uh the, the ones that seem to be the, the get the most love it seems. And I'm thinking well what's what's wrong with scale focusing an X A? just it because yeah, really, it's it's really got a little yeah. red
2: dot right there on the on the focus scale where you just yeah. line it up with in and, and you're at hyper focus. Exactly. Yeah. And
0: the actual the throw of that, the focus throw is tiny. See, I don't have a problem with focusing it, though. I don't. I don't
2: think it's tiny. You have to find one with a good, clear rangefinder patch.
0: No, sorry, I, I wasn't. I wasn't criticizing. I was just saying that the yeah. the, the, the actual throw between infinity to minimum focus is is. There's, there's not much yeah, it's, to it. it's, it's, it's so minuscule. Yeah, yeah, so it's, it's very easy just to set it to eight feet or whatever it is in meters and, and, and so on and, um, and, and be done with it. And you've got that control of the aperture as well. So it, it just seems like a very set. I think if I mean I've got one and I, I think next time I use it I'm, I'm more likely to use it as a scale focus camera than a. See the the, it.
2: the XA, XA two and XA three, they're the evolution of the trip thirty five. You know it's it's a, it's a camera used to, to. In most cases, it was designed for using as snapshots, yeah, which is what makes it such an effective street camera too, because you don't have to worry too much about settings or fiddling with focus or anything. There's basically three zones see that's a zone focus camera rather than a scale focus. you know it's got three preset zones on it right for you know like close up for um head and shoulder two, uh, pairs basically. And then for uh infinity and, and and you know, longer shots.
0: I'm I'm glad you just made that distinction actually because I've I've often thought I've thought that I knew the difference between zone focus and scale focus, but there's there's very little in it. It's just literally well, how that you know information scale is presented.
2: Fo- a, a scale focus camera, you could still focus through the complete range of, of focus. You know, from from whatever the minimum focal distance on the camera is through to infinity but with a a a zone focus camera it'll usually just have like three three or four zone settings where it there's an actual click stop in most cases for each one which is nice for when you you know you don't have to really look at it you just feel it click 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 you know yeah
0: it's a thing about taking choices away from you, just making it easier to concentrate on what you're doing. I yeah, guess.
2: yeah. Like one of my favorite cameras to shoot is actually the Kodak Signet 50, which is it, it's, a, it's more of a scale focus than a, than a zone focus. And it's got a really nice four-element Ektinar lens. I think it's a four-element lens lightweight body you know it was you could tell it was mass produced but it was mass produced particularly with Kodachrome film in mind Mm. so you know you're not really gonna you know people didn't want blurry vacation slides so they made a camera that was simple to use wasn't expensive that they could take on vacation and buy lots of their Kodachrome film with you and and take beautiful slides that would amaze their friends you know and that was basically Kodak's marketing strategy from the 50s onward until when they stopped making cameras was build a cheap camera with a good lens that's easy to use for people so you could sell film to them. But, you know, you could buy one on eBay for like $10 and, you know, who cares if you drop it in the ocean or something? You know, it's a $10 (laughs) camera, but, man, it takes wonderful pictures.
3: The I I mean, I'm just sitting here listening thinking I kind of agree with all of you on this. Um, cause the camera, like I, I zone focus a lot and scale focus a lot rather when I'm shooting with a rangefinder. But what I will typically do is I'll set it on the scale and then either back off by one stop, uh, on the scale, or I will sort of check the distance on the floor where I think my subjects are likely to be. And Mm -hmm. if if that distance is like further out than my focus point on the scale, then I'll just put it there. Right. Yeah. You know, know, it's.
2: it's once you get the, the the basics down, then then it all comes down to intuition. You know, same yeah. as everything, same as but, Sunny sixteen. You know, you got to know what to nudge it a little bit.
3: You know, it's funny because on Sunny sixteen, um, or even in artificial light, when I was out shooting with uh, my M four recently with CineStill, I mm-hmm. had this vo- I have this Boylander meter on top, um, but it got to a point where I was like, you know what, screw it, like. I know that I, I'm going to put my shutter at 160 because I don't want to go below that. And I'm pretty sure that if I'm at F2 or F2.8, I'm good here. And I don't really care about, you know, like mashing the button on the meter to see if, how close I am. Um, but but I think like on, on stuff like the Roly 35, I, I feel the same way as Simon or with the Olympus X8. Like I have the rangefinder version because just part of me likes that better than the scale focus one. But then, if I take a lens like the Voigtländer 15 millimeter super wide Heliar, if I put that lens on one of my rangefinders, like I get irritated by the fact that there's no rangefinder coupling. Mm-hmm. But then, if I put that lens, the exact same lens on, a BESA, on my Bethel L, I'm totally fine shooting it with scale focus. Yeah. I don't care at all. Um, and it's it's like it's almost like having those extra focusing tools or just anything extra on your camera. If you don't use it, it's annoying, right? Which mm-hmm. is why like self timers are annoying on some cameras. Which is why Sony digital cameras, dry- like I have an A seven R two, and it drives me nuts because there's only like two buttons that I ever press on it, and then there's like two thousand other ones <laughs> that yeah. are just sitting there, um, wasting space. And I feel like I'm an idiot for not pressing them.
2: Well, you know, you use what you need. Yeah. The only time I ever use the self timer is on my Sony A seven ii when I use it to digitize negatives. You know, I'll set it mm. for a two second because it by the time because I don't have a remote re- release for it. Yeah. So by the time two seconds is up, hopefully the camera stops shaking from when I press the can- the shutter button on yeah, my That's, that's stand. what I use it for too. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: But the 35S, oh, I mean like um, it's so sweet, but uh I, I've I've been more tempted to get the LTM version of that lens, which costs way more. For the simple, mm-hmm. I mean, it's a beautiful built lens, but yeah. for the same simple reason that, like, oh, this is rangefinder coupled, so, you know, I can focus more accurately with it, even though it's such a nice lens.
2: Well, here's here's the thing about, you know, scale focus or viewfinder cameras. It gives you the opportunity to use a classic lens on a camera that doesn't cost an arm and a leg in most cases, except for, like, the Roli 35. Uh-huh. And, and you know, it's the same Quality lens that they put on the interchangeable cameras in mm. many cases. You know, we got that sonar on there, and, and and the triplets are good, and the Kodak lenses are all very good. You know, and there's some some lots of good fixed lens, classic lens. I cameras. was
1: just gonna say, Mike, do we want to? It's a natural segue between the two. Um, did you want to talk about some of the fixed lens classics that you are are your favorites?
2: Sure. Well, obviously RoliFlex comes immediately to mind. You know, um most of them the more affordable ones will have the Tessar or the Xenar lens, which which are, you know, they're 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 really, really good lenses. Um I think I Simon might agree with me that the Tessar is more suited to medium format in most cases than than, than the thirty five millimeter.
0: I've I, well, I've I've recently had an epiphany on that one, uh, or at least that's the, the the company line, at least anyway. That, uh, I now like Tessars, and okay. Tessars are great uh, wherever but they then, are. So please continue.
2: <laughs> but then you get to the um the two point eight and three point five alphabet cameras, you know, F E D, with the uh, Planar or the Schneider Xenotar lenses, and I think the uh, the Xenotar F two eight lens on the um two point eight E is among the best lenses ever put on a medium format camera. As far as, as far as sharpness and, and image rendition goes. It's it's a fantastic lens. It you know, there's not a lot of difference between it and the planar, but you know, if you're pixel peeping, the the Xenotar is notably the sharper of the two. Especially on the edges, but then you know you go back even further. You know, um, Kodak had a, a long affiliation with Schneider. You know, with the the Xenar and the, and, and the Xenon lenses on on some of their mm-hmm. small fixed lens cameras. The well, I guess the Retina is kind of a semi fixed lens camera in its later implementations, but you know, still the same kind. Most most people just leave the fifty on there and that's all they ever have for it. Um but the the Kodak lenses, even the ones branded Kodak, Anastigmat, special, and the even the ektars are all they're all evolutions of the Schneider Xenar and Xenon lenses.
3: Hey Mike, I got a question for you on that. Um, I I love this topic. Is there you know the uh, Rodenstock Heligon lenses that you find on um, some of the uh, the Kodak cameras as well. Mm-hmm. I have I have an Agfa Carrot thirty six with a Rodenstock Heligon lens on it, and it's like one of my favorite fixed lens uh, camera lenses. Is that based on the Xenon? Or are they very similar?
2: I think it's it's more closer to a Heliar though, ah. um, and and the same as the the uh, Agfa agfa soligon lens i i think those are two very similar lenses you know those were the two top lenses that, yeah, yeah. that uh, agfa put on the carrot right you know, the heliogon is they're not too common here in in the, in the united states They seem to be more popular in the uh in in europe but the the soligon which is a you know heligon heliar clone is probably the best lens ever made by agfa and if you could find a uh like an egg for Super letter and Ants Super Memar, or or the egg um, for Carrot with the Soligon lens, mm. I would recommend that you snatch that up.
3: Because the the uh, the Heligon version tends to get touted as a little better, or tends to go for a bit more than the Soligon. You know, I think
2: that might be a little Eurocentrism there. Yeah, you know,
3: because the Apatar is is you know that that's a somewhat weaker lens, but I have one of yeah the Apatar, a, is
2: that's a Tessar clone. I yeah, believe.
3: I have a. Uh, Isolite 3 with a uh, Apatar lens on it. I love I, that's one oh, of my I love favorite that range. One.
2: And then the so, the Ag, Agnar lens is a triplet.
3: Okay, so I didn't I didn't know that the Heligon was a Heliar based design yeah, cuz well that explains Heliar. it cuz I love Heliar
2: lenses. Cuz I think it's but, a that, it, it's a five element design I think. Right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah.
3: Yeah, it's it's gorgeous, man. It's so mm-hmm. so nice. When that camera I, I wrote an article on this camera for Hamish a while ago. Um, but when that camera, when the shutter started sticking on me, I was so tempted to rip the lens out and modify it, but I couldn't do it. Um, so I sent it to the shop and the guy,
2: uh, yeah. cleaned it up for me. Well, I, I, I have a, uh, Agfa Carrot 36 with the Soligon, uh-huh. which is currently in the hands of Mike Ekman. Cause he said he would repair it for me because the oh, shutter fantastic. wasn't firing. And, but you know I'm looking forward to that. Cause the, the super Memar with the, um, Sologon is hands down my favorite fixed lens rangefinder. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it it's a it's a simple camera. It's got a beautiful bright viewfinder, rangefinder yep. patch is crisp, and that that Sologon lens, it, it it's it's the equal to the Ultra and on the Vitesse, I think.
3: It's and I mean the only thing you gotta be careful about with these some of these cameras is um I think the fastest shutter speed, because it just like uses this enormous spring to cock the 500th of a second. Yeah. So that'll, that'll bust a lot. But, you know, I've seen, there's a guy in Hong Kong who I've seen, um, he has a bunch of these lenses that he has modified from some of these fixed lens cameras. Uh, and some of the results are just mind blowing, which is what, mm-hmm. what's made me want to do it. You know, one of Johnny's favorite cameras, the Kodak Bantam Special. Um, <laughs> the, that lens, when it's modified to M mount, you know, it sells the- for... Th- three times as much as the camera here
2: in Hong Kong. That lens is, it's, it's, it's basically a a Schneider Xenon. Yeah. You know, it evolved from the, originally um, Kodak was using the, uh, what they call the Anastigmat special on their, uh, I think it was was first came out the, the five, six element version anyway on the uh, Kodak Duo 620, which was a, it was the first, very first six by Four and a half format camera ever made, and then later they they, and that one it was labeled you know Schneider, Krusenack Xenon I think, but uh or Xenar one of the two. But then they they put it on the same lens is on the uh, Kodak Regent folding rangefinder, where they call it the Anastigmat Special, which is basically the same lens that they later put on on the Bantam. I
3: thought the I thought the lens on the Bantam was the forty seven millimeter Ektar.
2: Ektar is Kodak's trade name, yeah. For, which the, they originally used Anastigmat, yeah. And oh, okay. then people were saying Anastigmat, right? And you know, <laughs> and you know, there is there is a little bit of negative connotation after the war, maybe with um with branding the lenses Schneider, which I think was the actual manufacturer, yeah. Gotcha. At least early on, you know. So they 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 put their own name first Anastigmat special, which is kind of a mouthful, but Kodak loved calling lenses Anastigmat, even when technically some of them probably weren't Anastigmat lenses. Right. <laughs> but then they they changed to Ectar for the for their top end. Well there was what was it, commercial Ector? Yeah, Ectar, Ektar.
1: Ectinars.
2: Ectinar was were basically the um four element lenses, I believe. Yeah, tet, more of a Tessar clone. Yeah. That's where we are at with Kodak, and then they stopped making cameras. Yeah. <laughs> well, first they put plastic lenses on them and then they stopped making them. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, you know, an interesting fixed lens camera with a huge variety of lens and shutter combinations are the the Virgin Edixa and Edinex cameras. You know they're they're beautiful little. Well, Adenex, I think was a rangefinder. The Etics has beautiful little viewfinder cameras with lenses anywhere from a simple triplet up to a to the Schneider Xenon. Yeah, those they're, are they're, those are nice
3: looking cameras.
2: Yeah, and they're fun cameras. You know it's it's simple. <laughs> you know it's almost like a uh, updating of the Kodak thirty five and, and the way the film advance works and stuff like that. You know, and I always wonder what Virgin would have been come if not for that whole nasty business during the war with the Virgin brothers and the Nazis. Mm. And then basically stealing his factory and calling him ADOX.
3: Wait, wait, I I don't know anything about the history of, um, of the Virgin company.
2: Yeah. I Uh, would recommend rather than me giving wrong information is is search Mike Ekman's site for any review he's done on a Virgin camera and he goes into quite some detail on on the virgin virgin uh, history you know rumor has it is that after the war henry virgin was able to reacquire his factory and trade for several cartons of cigarettes <laughs> <laughs> but he, he was such an innovative guy and and you know heinz waski who originally who who designed the roll 35 was the original who he was the designer between of many of the uh, of the really innovative virgin designs, you know like they' they're the virgin uh, EdXir reflex SLR, the original one, which I think is the most beautiful SLR camera ever made. But that was you know a Heinz Wosky design, but you know him and Henry Virgin kind of part of company because Waski wanted to go towards miniaturization. And he actually designed a prototype of the what later became the Roly thirty five for Virgin before moving over to Roly and, and making history with, with, with that and out my, out my tannying, my tanny or my tanny or however you say it. Cause I think that's the best miniature cam camera ever made is the roly 35, but that's just one man's opinion.
3: All right. So, so on the topic of fixed lens cameras, uh, and this question is to you, Mike, but it's kind of to everyone as well. Um, so, adapting the lenses from fixed lens cameras opens up an entire world uh you know i think most people who are like in the photography of classic lenses facebook group are buying like old srl lenses or rangefinder lenses Mm -hmm. and buying adapters but like you know when you get a helicoid and then you attach these old fixed lens cameras onto them it just opens up an entire world of possibilities right so the question i have for you guys because i love doing this is when, when it comes to ripping the lens off a perfectly good camera in order to adapt it to a digital camera, uh, what's your take on that? Is it is it evil? The ethics of it? <laughs> I, 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 it
2: I have well? two, I'm of two minds on this. Um, one, the first is it's your camera, you know, your property, do whatever the heck you want to yeah. do with it. Um, the other point is there's so many broken ones available yeah you know yeah why take the option away from yourself of having a a usable fixed lens camera that you might want to play with later to just to put it on a a helicoid for you know a lens that you might use once every two three four weeks or months yeah you know it but you know it's the same thing as people turning cameras into lamps You know, there's if you go to eBay and you search vintage cameras, you're going to come up with hundreds of thousand hits, you know, and and it's your money. It's your camera. It's, you know, use it for what you bought it for. If you bought it for for to take the lens off like Johnny did with his Bantam special, you know, buy the camera, take the lens off, have at it. You know, you're you're you want to use it to produce photographs with. And if you're not using it in its native state, then, you know, you bought it. You bought it. You own it.
1: Okay. I think it's always appropriate to rip the lens off a of Bantam special, by the way.
2: <laughs> I'm not going to rip the lens off mine. I'm probably never going to use it either, though. So. <laughs>
1: and you can, you can use the, the outer shell to make a very nice purse.
2: I could use it as a case for my pills and medication. There you go. Yeah, it For me. when I travel.
3: So, so the natural follow-up to that um, is for everyone – of the lenses that you have ripped off fixed-lens cameras and, like, adapted to digital, are there any that stick out as particularly pleasing in their
2: results? Well, I have done none of them, so I have really no okay. opinion. The one that I would like to try most, I think, is the uh, the lens from the um, Nikon L35AF.
4: Oh, which, okay. Which oh,
2: seems yeah. like a fantastic little lens, and, and there's so many broken ones out yeah. there. That you there's might a, as well, you know, if I was going to do a lens, that would be the first one I would try.
3: There's a guy here selling one of those um, housed in an LTM body, not rangefinder mm-hmm. coupled, but still, yeah, yeah, that's
2: cool. Because uh, you know, reading the history of that lens, is fascinating reading. Yeah, because I mean, there are uh, some lenses like the
3: Lomo T40, this is a T43 or whatever the hell it's called. That um, that could, that be, a, that could seem- be a tank. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the 40 millimeter F4 LOMO thing. Um, that that have become kind of almost cult lenses because people are ripping them off and rehousing them. Um I think like the
2: Helios 33 gets. That it seems like the well. best use for Olga lens anyway. So Yeah, yeah. No, no, yeah. fair enough. I'm gonna I'm gonna get hate mail from Gutterman now. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, I've got to say, I really, I really like what what Mike's, <coughs> what Mike's been doing with his with his whole. Yeah, bit. he does some good stuff. It's not yeah, the, the normal normal light
2: leaks stuff. He actually makes good photographs with it.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, to to the point where he's actually making me think that Max, it might be worth actually trying one of these things out. But so, the, the thought of actually using a camera that deli- that almost deliberately takes low quality photographs I, I, it doesn't it doesn't appeal to me even though I, no. I love to put low well lenses onto a digital camera which i know are not going to produce high image quality plenty of
2: images. low quality images with cameras with good lenses on them you know i don't really need to buy a cheap one
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah
0: Right. Yeah. Well no I th- I think I think he's got some great shots with that and and he's yeah. he's I think he's actually doing with that what a lot of people in that that enjoy using the compromised lenses on on digital do but he's he's doing it well. Well
2: I think there's there's like two schools on that. There's the people who just love the camera the light leaks and 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 there are people who actually want to make serious photographs with them you know there they are two perfectly valid reasons for using a, a camera like a holga but you know one i like a lot more than the other
3: so um on on the topic of ripping lenses off though uh, one thing that that i've done which has kind of surprised me is um i have an i had an old uh, Super Iconta 4 which was just dead beyond all imagination mm-hmm. so i i ripped the lens off which a zeiss tessar uh yeah. seventy-five millimeter three point five I think. Um and I stuck it onto a helicoid and mounted it on my Sony. Um and then I also took a uh the viewing lens out of I think it's an, an eighty
2: millimeter old. lens. Wait, it depends on was it an iconta A or B or C
3: uh, iconta, super iconta four.
2: Okay. I think I that's a 4 six 4 by six. 6. 6.
3: Yep.
2: Yeah, that'd be the eighty millimeter tester, I believe.
3: Hold on. I have it in front of me right now. It is. No, it's a 75 millimeter 3.5. I mean, it came with a couple of different different lenses you could get with it. Yeah. So uh, and then I had a old Chinese um, TLR made by Seagull break down on me Oh, Mm -hmm. Uh, because, you know, they, they break. That's what they do. And um, I ripped the viewing lens out of that because, uh, you know, ripping the, the taking lens is is a pain in the butt. And I, I it's an 80 millimeter, I think, 2.8. So I put them next to each other and I tested them. And the viewing lens on the Seagull gave me, like, significantly better results than the Tessar.
2: Yeah. That's a you triplet see- lens, isn't it? On the on the, I have no yeah. idea what the viewing lens is. Because I, I mean, think it's a these... it's a Chinese clone of the uh yeah. Tamioka Tri Louser. Uh-huh. Wait, you don't Which sound it... surprised at all that the this view
3: I, I was always under the impression I like, that, like I like
2: the TLR triplet lenses. They're 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 great lenses. Um the the triotar on the on the early rolly cords is uh-huh. fantastic. I think I love the way it does portraits. You know, okay. and most people say it's sharp if you if you step it down a little bit, but I love it wide open on portraits because you get you know nice and sharp in the middle and 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 the best swirl ever in the back. I, so, I know.
3: do you know if the because uh, I, I I always assume that like the viewing lens on a TLR was just a, a crappy lens. And then they saved their money for putting
2: the real lens up. And I think lens. on some of the cameras, like the, the, the picnic, the picnic TLRs, it's the same lens on both because it was a cheap lens to start with. Uh, um, on the, uh, Flex, they, they're, they're different formulas on the, on the viewing and taking lenses. I think most of the viewing lenses are, are, are triplets. They're the, Oh, what does really call them? Hide 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 so yeah. or something. something like that, and 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 they and they put the good lenses on the bottom.
3: Yeah, okay, yeah, because I was just I was really surprised when I compared those two, especially because like there is no iris in the yeah. the viewing lens either. So shot wide open, it's it's I think a slightly wider aperture as well, but yeah, it's sharper, it's richer, it's richer colors than the Tessar.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: I was gonna say the, the iris is one of the issues you're gonna get though, isn't it, when you if you are taking a lens from a fixed fixed lens, camera. Well, you know. Sort of most, you-
2: most people shoot wide open when they and their
0: converted lenses anyway, right? Well yeah, yeah, very very so, true. But it's it's still nice to actually have an aperture, isn't it? Uh,
3: the, the iris is okay. I I the the trickier part is when you've got a synchro compared shutter and you've got to pry the blade the shutter blades open because a lot of the times if, if it's like a folding camera right and you rip the uh, lens off the aperture control is going to come with it um whereas if it's a leaf shutter you've got to find some way to like you've either got to take it apart and remove the blades or force them open or do it sure with t setting on it uh yeah exactly that's what i've done i have put it on bulb and then just like taped down the shutter
0: Actually I've seen I've seen some shots. It's it's a while now, but certainly in the earlier days of uh, the classic lenses Facebook group there were a few such well, a few <coughs> lenses that were that were taken and they were using the shutter mechanism effectively as the aperture. And I don't I don't think I'm pretty sure they, they probably did have a separate aperture, but they were actually but they were using Well, you know, not all step. of them
2: did though. Ah right. You you know, oh, yeah. A lot of them had the uh, the shutter aperture
0: combination. Right, and and that was then giving so certainly if you, if they were being used, yeah. and then there was like a a minimum focus distance that was being used, and there were some highlights yeah. in the background. You were then getting the shape, um, maybe yeah. three blades, uh, and the, a, a, a very rounded uh, blade. So um, mm-hmm. you get some really quite quite odd shaped. Uh, well, you don't even get not, you don't get balls at all. You just get these. Triangular, triangular.
2: Yeah, I know if, if you yeah. if you use the lens, say from a Yashica CC, it, it's got the the shutter aperture, and it kind of makes a triangle. I don't know if anyone's converted those or not. I know that the uh, the DX um, forty five millimeter lenses from the Electro thirty five seem popular as conversions.
0: Yeah, I never never actually find out whether or not that lens is just exactly the same as the 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 rangefinder version. Um, or, or not, which was, we'll it's a great lens on the, sorry, not rangefinder, is the SLR, S-SLR, because that's, you know, that's a lens we've, we've spoken about many times on the, on the show as well. It's a bit of a favorite, favorite of ours, the Yashinon on 50mm f2. Mm-hmm. I don't know.
2: I, I, I have a, a, a suspicion that it, if it's not the same, it's very similar. Ooh, I you just, know, the focal length is slightly different, but, you I know. I just,
0: I just realized it's uh, on the, the, the Yashikas, I think that we're talking about, it. The, that's actually a 1.7, isn't it?
2: Well, there's a 1.7 and a 1.2 and a 1.4, um, or not a 1.2, a point, you know, a 2. F2, yeah. a F2, which I actually prefer the F2 lens over the 1.7, but I'm weird sometimes. And I I just think it renders, I think it renders, people, I kind of wish that that had been the winner in, in, in the cheap lens contest, but everyone went for the, for the. Yeah,
3: I, I wanted that one too, because I mean. Well, you could issues, buy one yourself, but... Barry. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's true. That's true. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Actually, you know, buy one that's attached to an FX three. Well, no, that's a CY camera. The ML fifty one point fifty point two is like another good lens. But, you know, but um, yeah, you could buy the F two DX lens fairly cheap because everyone wants the faster ones. But I've I've, I've called it the the I've likened it to the Simicron, and I think with good reason. You know, I yeah. think it renders the out-of-focus area in much the same way. It's you know, it, it's more. it's not a it's not a bubble bokeh or a swirly bokeh camera. It's just it's nice, smooth, creamy, mm-hmm. classic out-of-focus area. Yeah. yeah.
1: So while I, we're on the subject of UFTA, real quick. Ufta we have the Ufta man here with us. So I you know, I, I think we should just speak about that brief, briefly because I think it was uh Jason, um, member of the Canon PR, Jason
2: Kalani, Kon- Yes,
1: ma- ma- yes, member oh, of the Canon the, other one, the other army. One. Um he 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 mentioned something about in enjoying uh, <laughs> Simon and me and the gang here all saying the word oofta. Thinking that it was like a polka thing, you know.
2: No, it's it's a it's a kind of a mid northern midwestern Norwegian or Swedish slang term. And I'm you know it's a it's an an explanation. I for when you when you when something is is something that you find strange or something, you know, like oofta. Actually, it's what my, <laughs> my my late mother-in-law used to say when she tried to get up out of the chair.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> but, it, you know, it's like when you see a a, 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 a nice looking girl, you know, the, the man up there in in, in in Minnesota, you know, they go, oofta. You know, <laughs> or when he got a really good plate of lutefisk. Yeah. It's like, man, oofta, I can't wait to dig into that.
1: <laughs> not that we're going to talk more about food or anything we've right? we've
2: hijacked the uh the term for for better use i think yeah
1: it's i i agree
2: except the swedes up in minnesota are saying what the hell are they talking about down there
3: <laughs> hey hey mike um on a, a a bunch of a number of episodes ago we had um an email from someone asking about zuno lenses and mm-hmm. uh I think Simon mentioned that you have one of those waltz TLRs with the zuno lens on it Yes I do um how does how, how is that?
2: I haven't been able to shoot it because it has the uh old it uses the same focus mega mechanism as the Minolta TLRs which tend to freeze up and I don't want to try to fix it myself and I haven't been able to find anyone even the guy who repairs Minolta cameras who who wants to attempt to repair it. Gotcha. And it, it makes me sad because the camera is otherwise beautiful. But I, uh-huh. unless I want to shoot everything at 12 feet, then I can't really use it.
3: That would be a pretty, pretty fun photo challenge. Low yeah, low I might actually
2: there. try sometime <laughs> because the lenses are beautiful and I want to see what they do. <laughs> you know, I've It'd never actually pick seen them. any pick, examples of photos taken with the camera because yeah. I think everyone who buys one just puts it on the shelf.
3: Yeah, you're the only person I know who has one.
2: Um, There's also, what is it, the Helma 44 that has the Zuno lenses. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which is, God, expensive even in terrible shape. But, you know, rarity speaks for itself, I suppose.
1: Uh, Mike, I know another topic that you had wanted to touch on was uh, getting outside of your comfort zone. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, And I know that we've talked about this in... Uh, recent uh, programs we had Simon talking about his horizon. Um, and and I mean, you know, some wonderful things can happen when you get outside your comfort zone. And I I just want to make note of something that a listener um, noted to me. And we're talking about Lucas Frazee,
2: he, (laughs) Lucas. Lucas, Lucas does not mince words, Jenner.
1: No, Lucas does not mince words, and and um, he he said, "I'm so happy." Simon is having fun with his Horizon. He sounds genuinely genuinely happy, and I and I said to him, "I've never heard him talk about a camera with more enjoyment." He almost sounds American. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Lu, Lucas says, "Right, he sounds so un- un-English and happy to be alive. None of that quiet desperation English thing." <laughs> so wonderful things can happen. When you get outside your comfort, yes, healing. they do.
2: I mean, I I did some of that on, on on my recent visit with you in Chicago. You know, I I tried things that I really don't do here around town. Um, you know, with with um adjusting my uh, exposure index, I suppose you call it, in development times, and 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 trying to get uh, my photos to render in different ways. know, you know, high contrast stuff and and also um well shooting in kind of your style i think on a couple of them and also in 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 like eric sluis he likes to shoot the slower films and and overexpose them and and make everything really bright and you know I, I i i did some of that at a wedding and then uh i had actually never shot low light with um pushed film before and I, I think I had some success with that on our pub crawl. Yeah. And you know, and it, yeah. it keeps gives you a fresh perspective. And 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 you know, I, I I will take some of that back here with me, you know, and because I have a kind of a limited area to shoot in, you know. But if I keep it fresh with, with using different techniques and and different exposures, I think I could continue to bring fresh results. That was an experience. I'm I'm really happy with the way the shots in the uh, bar came out.
1: I, I, you know, Mike, I was looking at those and I was like, because here's the funny thing is I, we had the same, essentially the same setup. I had a Canon P with a 51.2 LTM shooting Tri X at 800. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we're shooting the exact same lens with the exact same film, essentially. Um, and I'm really hoping mine turn out half yeah. as good as yours I
2: wasn't did. metering or anything. I was just saying, yeah, this is probably right.
1: That's what I did, too. Yeah. <laughs> I was at about you know, 1.4 thinking, yeah, I, I can handhold it at a 30th or a 15th of a second. No yeah. problem. <laughs> yeah. And
2: and, and even, even in the development process, you know, I, I processed the, uh, I shot some, the kodak at 800 and i also shot some of the rolly retro eight 400 at 800 yeah and on the rolly retro 800 I, I i just processed i tried to minimize my inversions and and keep them like gentle which i think helped with the uh yeah keeping keeping the blacks black and the grays gray and the whites yeah. white and i think that role turned out wonderfully
1: i i mean i you know not because it looks hopefully exactly like how I like my stuff to look, but yeah, I thought it looked wonderful too. <laughs> yeah.
2: The Kodak <laughs> but, but, came out a little bit on, on, on the grainy side and some of that. Yeah. Some but of the blacks, it, it, were, nothing like, not, not unpleasing.
1: Yeah. I no, like not, grain. Not, not you know, that's why I, I
2: have, that's why I have my beautiful grainy mush Facebook group.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, and I, I think it's a good, you know, it's, it's tri grain, man. It's beautiful. Right. Yeah, so, but beautiful. I, I do the same thing when I develop, um, stuff at 800 and honestly i shoot 800 almost all the time even on the bright sunny day on the street because i throw filters on there and then knocks it back to you know 200 yeah. or whatever but um but i develop very very gently in Rodinal, and it really the grain it's dramatically different if you develop mm-hmm. very gently at normal times it really changes the whole look of the the, the photo i think
2: you know, that was the first time I shot the Rolie Retro Four Hundred, so I really have no comparison or yeah. of my own work to judge it with. But I mean, those were absolutely beautiful. I mean, the the Accutance when you when you do it with the slow inversion, yeah, and minimal, I think it increases greatly. Yeah, 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 I agree.
0: I, I just want to say something about comfort shooting outside of the comfort zone, um, because yeah, there was there was that. It, hugely positive experience that uh, Lucas has mentioned there with the, with the horizon um, shooting a, a fixed camera, although it's a sweeping camera mm-hmm. an ultra wide angle lens. So actually it's not, even old, it's not an ultra wide angle lens. It's a 28 millimeter lens that swings uh, giving you a, a, a panorama. And I, I, I love that. And it's um, it's, it, it was, it was a great experience and I, and I've already repeated it and I'll continue to repeat it, but it's just, Awesome fun. Um, so, um, whereas uh, my other the other part of my recent experience of shooting outside my comfort zone was, you know, using a rangefinder and trying to shoot street photography, and I don't know, I the. Yeah, I mean- it just might not be your thing. Well, exactly. But now, think, you know, now, I, you know, and I think that's the point I want to make. I think there's a lot of people, you know, especially on podcasts and um, various other blogs and, and things like that, where you get encouraged to shoot out outside of your comfort zone and enjoy yourself. And, uh, you know, and it, it will uh, help, help awake you to some other type of photography that you, know, you might, might spur. You well, might, you know, hmm. even
2: if you, even if you don't continue to shoot like street, you can take some of, what you have learned from your street, yeah, technique, and and use it in 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 your more general photography. Yeah, you know, yeah. Every, everything you broaden your
0: horizons and and in, in anything that you do new. Exactly, and I think that that's the sort of the point I'm making. Really, is that you know if you if you, I think it's good to try. I think it's that, I think that's that's the important thing about uh, going out out of your comfort zone. Do do try to do it, but if you find you actually get there and you're still not comfortable, you're still not happy with it, um, don't feel too bad that it yeah. just hasn't worked. Out. Then
2: you try the next new thing.
0: Yeah, you know, and you you know, especially
2: when you when you you find yourself shooting the same things, you know, you you have to try different things, otherwise, you know, it, you're shooting the same. Picture over and over and over again.
0: Well, well, that was one of the things that when we had Ed Noble on a, a couple of weeks ago, um, and I, I think I made the point at, at, at the time, he he has found a way with his Boca panorama shots and to a degree also with his in, infrared shooting, but the Boca panoramas are probably a little bit more accessible, especially if you've got access and the ability to do um, st- stitching photos together. Um, his, his Boca panoramas can make extraordinary uh pictures in very mundane places so if you so if you are bored of uh the, the same old shots you can actually take your photographs in a completely different way and all yeah. of a sudden it, it opens things up for you
2: mm-hmm. you make the ordinary extraordinary exactly yeah yeah all
3: right you know, it's funny it's funny listening to you guys talk about this because like the last few weeks, I've been struggling with trying to get out of my comfort zone as well, um, but in a very, very different way. Well,
2: I think if you shoot with a lens that costs less than three hundred dollars, you'll be out of your comfort zone. Baby. No.
4: Uh... <laughs>
2: okay.
3: <laughs> touché, touché. That um, Konica has not been that inspiring. I, I will. I will admit. See? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I am talking about I'm talking about I'm trying to I'm trying to force myself to get out there and like shoot on the front lines of some of these protests, but I don't want to get tear gassed. Yeah.
2: See, I think the boot the the, the the pancake lens is kind of a boutique lens. I mean, you know, it's it's more for, for its unusualness of the lens itself than for any of any of the characteristics that it renders in. Yeah,
3: but I yeah, I, I think <laughs> yeah, sorry Johnny.
1: Oh, I was going to say though, I think that would be the perfect use for that lens. Is just uh, is like the protest stuff, street stuff, and, you know, where you're stopped down and you're just shooting fast. Mm-hmm. It's it's re- it is really but that's a good what the
2: biogon is for, though. Right.
1: Yeah, that's that's true too. But why take your expensive biogon out and get it no, screwed no, but, up? Right.
2: Uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm not as
3: concerned. Like my concern yeah. about going out and shooting this stuff isn't that my stuff's going to get broken. Right. Um, which it might. Although I mean, hey, if we're going to give the lens away to a listener. I mean, it's, it's yeah you probably don't want
1: to get it tear gassed and dyed blue first covered
2: pepper, yeah. pepper spray and just blue dye yeah. there's your lens some <laughs> super glue in a in a brillo pad hey, call, hey, call it a <laughs> uh
3: call it a special repaint edition
1: just mm-hmm. just run it through the dishwasher before you send it out. no
2: more need Sorry. for a blue filter no <laughs> or a soft Good focus point. filter soft blue conic. no
3: you know i think i think my problem with that lens is the fact that i'm shooting it on the sony
2: yeah
3: um, I, I, that. I don't enjoy shooting SLRs, period except for like portraits or you know longer lenses where i'm picking out a subject and that's it um and then on the sony it's like it it it's the perfect size for a lens on the sony but I just find it so uninspiring, you know, but at the, the, at the same time, if I put any similar lens on the Sony, I find it equally uninspiring. Yeah, well, you the you lucky go.
2: winner of that lens is going to be saying, Oh yeah. <laughs> so
1: Perry, so, the, the solution here is obvious. Um, You need to go buy an original Konica auto reflex, full slash half frame <laughs> camera. And, and you'll put that 40 on there and it's perfect. And I can trust me because I'm looking at my combo right now that camera and that lens together and it just makes me happy even looking at it so
3: yeah because when i take the lens off the camera and i play with it and fondle it i like it a lot
2: (laughs) 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 Uh, can Uh, i just play with it to like it's a fondling
3: oh you know you know i think if i if i can find a cheap fuji adapter i think if i stick it on my fuji i'll enjoy it a lot more
1: yeah yeah, it should go good. I haven't foodie.
2: converted to like a M. Uh.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Well, I think on 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 that note, I think we we should uh, start to uh, wind things down a little bit now. Um, thanks, Mike, for uh, uh, hey, it's been your, fun. your vast knowledge of uh, food. And, uh, <laughs> we haven't even touched on beer yet <laughs> no we didn't even go there no. we didn't even, we didn't yeah. even go there another, another another time um let's just um do a bit of housekeeping um first one being uh i just want to thank uh those people who have donated to us in the in the past week which are barry carr and nigel cliff and nigel uh has also left us a message um with this uh his his donation saying uh, don't spend it all on M2 winders. Um <laughs> well I've already got one. It's 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 a fact in fact it's the only reason I'm keeping the camera it seems so I can just wind it on. Um <laughs> so uh, if anybody else wants to uh help help us along um you can just go to uh dot coffee uh, ko-fi.com K-O-dash, and just search classic lenses um or you find the the link in the uh, in the show notes um and you can help us out so uh, very appreciated for those people that uh, have uh, donated to us so um so there's that um johnny have you got any shout outs this week or anything like that uh
1: i don't think i do actually um no i don't think so other than uh I mean I kind of did a shout out last week to the Novakian uh Photo Walk folks. Um, so I would, you know n- we have we actually have Mike here today. So my shout out is really to Mike himself. Hey Johnny. So, <laughs> so so I'm I'm really glad you were you made it into town, Mike. And it was it was great to to hang out with you in person. Finally. Fine. Yeah, it was it was that was a cool night. So I'm really glad you you were able to make it in and hopefully um be, it will be a regular feature that you'll you do this every year or you'd stop by and do a Novakian kind of, photo kind of walk looking, in Chicago.
2: Looking forward to it.
0: Excellent. Excellent. And I've I've just realized that we do actually have an email but we'll we'll save that one for 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 next time. Um, so Perry, any shout outs from you?
3: Uh, nope, no shout outs from me.
0: Okay. Um well oh. And I haven't got any other, t- other to say, uh, come along on a Tuesday night. Uh, to, If you want to do some developing, uh, printing or things like that, or just chat about old lenses and uh, cameras and things at the Six Towns Darkroom in Stoke-on-Trent. That's every Tuesday evening. If you want to know more, just drop me a line via the many places that you can get in touch with me. Um, okay, so let's... I have
2: I have Ooh. shout outs.
0: Ooh. Oh, I'm, I do apologize. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: I, I'd like yeah. to give a shout-out to my... Partners in crime on the uh, photo walk slash pub crawl, Jose Luis Uribe, the lovely Sonia Milian, and Eric Reese. We had a, a great time. It was great meeting new friends and friend people I've known just online. Yeah, I mean, and you know, I also want to say the high point of my trip to Chicago, besides the photos and the food and everything, was just the diversity of the city. You know, everyone should visit Chicago. It was, you know, right in the blue line and hearing people speak in five different language, speaking five different languages in all colors. It's just not something I see every day anymore. Mm. So the, shout out to the city of Chicago and the people of the city of Chicago.
0: Absolutely. And, all right. and, and Mike, um, where are the other places that people... Can keep up with all the things that you you do. I can be found on both uh Flickr
2: and Instagram as Grayscale 3. Was, I I do have a blog, but it's completely devoid of content, so there's <laughs> no use going Was <laughs> it was it was there,
0: was there a gray, was grayscale one and two taken? I suppose, and that's grayscale
2: <laughs> with an E. I I I I posted a link to my uh Flickr album of uh of the photo op pub crawl in the in the, uh, in the podcast chat here, Johnny what, wants what, to add it to the show notes. What possessed you to spell gray properly? It's because I think it just looks cooler when you write it. <laughs> <laughs> you know it was it was Greystoke, you know, the Legend of the Tars and it wasn't Greystoke
4: <laughs>
3: <laughs> no Greystoke is where Simon lives yeah, <laughs> it's, it's yeah. Great. most most it's, days
0: it's, but you know yeah it's very great at the moment that's a certain <laughs> yeah. um okay um mike once again thank you for for, for being with us and i'm glad we've actually given you an opportunity to talk in, the, in a way that people can listen to you this 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 time as well so um it's been great great to have you on it's been my pleasure yeah. um right so perry um how can people keep up with the things that you get you do
3: Uh, You can find me on Instagram, Flickr, and the internet at Perry G, -G P-E-R-R-Y-G-E.
2: Okay. And Johnny? Not to be confused with pierogi. No, no. It's very different.
3: (laughs) Although although if you poke them, they feel kind of the same.
1: Yeah. Uh, You can. You can keep up with me um, at uh, System Photography on Instagram, and you can meet me in person at Central Camera Company in Chicago uh, most days of the week. And take it, take it from Mike Novak that actually works. Mm-hmm.
2: Did that last? He week. actually sold stuff to me. I did actually, yes, yes.
0: Okay, how, how about how about things like how, uh, how people oh, get in touch with us and stuff right. like that?
1: Right. Right, you can um, you can send us an email at classiclensespodcast at gmail You can contact us also through the podcast website, which is classiclensespodcast.com uh, And of course, make sure that you follow along on Instagram with Best Vintage Lens, friend of me of the show, Best Vintage Lens, more more friend than enemy. Um, and they do the great uh, the great write up of the show each show. That's better than the show itself. So make sure you check that out. And there's there's also another way that people can listen oh, to the show as well. Isn't that's there? that's right? You can uh, you can also go over to uh, YouTube, um, and you can I guess watch a blank screen <laughs> with words that go across it that may or may not be the words that we're actually saying when we're talking. So you can do that too. So you go go on over to YouTube and. And
0: see what that looks like. That's, that's <laughs> yeah. The the classic lenses podcast channel on on, on YouTube it, it, <laughs> on too. It, it's stunningly successful as well. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, have to, I still need to check this out. <laughs> yeah, I mean last last week's show uh, we're now five views as we as we talk. All right, five people on. But, but YouTube is the future, of course. You know, so um so there you there you go. <laughs> it's not a very bright future if that's if that's the case. Um okay, so uh as for me, I'm on Twitter as Simon Four, I'm on Instagram as Simon Forster Photographic. Um I'm still doing nothing on on Flickr. I, I think it's about nearly a year since i've put anything on there i think that's what it looks like at least anyway um what else i've got my website which is simon forster photographic there are a few lenses on there as well um including a very nice uh colzai zm biogon and a 100 millimeter f2 contact shika lens on there as well they're also on my youtube channel on youtube on my uh uh, what's what's the other place? eBay, yeah, that, that's that's ah, it. But, uh, but strangely enough, the, you get a better deal if you go to my page. But <laughs> yeah. you know,
3: there you go. Hey Simon, where did you where did you get those lenses?
0: They came from a very reputable seller in Hong Kong.
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs>
0: they've got they've got blue paint on them. <laughs> the blue paint special. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Fortunately, I, I got rid of the blue paint so uh, well, there, there you go um, so uh, that's, that's, that's pretty much just, it Sorry, go. just put it in a bag with a Gene and Jude's hot Gene and Jude's hot dog yeah. the paint on. Uh, yeah. and some ketchup from McDonald's next door No, no, okay. no ketchup <laughs> um, ok so uh, that's it our music for the show was by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com it's called Octo Blues. Um, and that's it so I hope you've enjoyed this week's show and if you can be like Carl
3: Mike is having audio difficulties.
0: Oh.
3: Hello, Mike. Can you hear us?
0: Perhaps, perhaps, oh. perhaps if we shout really loud, can you hear us, Mike? Perhaps I might help. <laughs> maybe, maybe he walked. Maybe he walked too far away from his uh,
1: microphone. Computer with his microphone. Yeah. 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 Move closer to the to the microphone, Mike. He says he can't hear us. Oh. Maybe he needs to like re i'm not sure what kind of mic he has but you know what i'm saying he might have if he walked away with it on his head oh he may need to reconnect reconnect essentially yeah
0: there you go perry (laughs) (laughs) bluetooth that's what we were talking about it was it was it was a case of perry you write something (laughs) (laughs)
4: <laughs>
1: very here's here to save the day as usual that's what the millennial is here for right,
4: tech exactly
3: <laughs> got an asian guy on the podcast to do
2: tech support for you i see, <laughs> I see how it is yeah, i'm gonna type something i think i'm bad hey oh, there he on. is welcome did i miss anything no no yeah. Okay. You're all talking about me, you you conspiring bitches. Perry, <laughs>
1: Perry was Perry was schooling us in uh, us old guys with his uh, you know proper use of terminology when we say, well maybe the thing isn't working because of that other thing when Mike walked away.
2: It was and my do <laughs> do Yeah, you know, it was unwaffled.
0: Ah. Uh. All right, well, let's let's talk about today's show. Uh, All right, so, um,
1: Mike, uh, welcome to the podcast. Tell us about your best meal in Chicago.
2: Oh my best meal was the uh, very first uh, <laughs> Italian Mike, Mike, beef Mike, head.
0: Mike, stop yes stop this well, this is not the podcast we haven't started the oh, podcast oh okay huh.
2: yeah. <laughs> well, i was just going to tell Johnny about my meal you know
0: well and and, and that's fine that's absolutely <laughs> okay. fine if, you, you, if, if 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 that's where if that's where the podcast was I'm going to hand over yeah. to Johnny largely anyway all right well it's going to be a gastronomic blowout man yeah. it's we're yeah, yeah. Well, so i'm, 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 I'm what I'm what I'm thinking is we're pretty much going to rerun uh, the last podcast that you're on, except we're not going to have Em and Hamish uh, come mm-hmm. along, um, because ult- ultimately uh, we didn't really get to hear that much of you for two reasons: one, because Em and Hamish stole the show, and two, your mic was.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that was my porn name. Yeah, <laughs> Mike. Mike. Yeah.